A Telltale Pod Production. Charlie Changes Into a Chicken by Sam Copeland and illustrated by Sarah Horn. Chapter 7 It was a beautiful Saturday morning. The sun was shining, just the odd small white cloud scudding high across the sky. It was not the sort of day that Charlie felt like facing pretty certain death. But we don't always get what we want in life. And Charlie was finding that out the hard way. This really, really, really does not feel safe at all, guys. The four were at the top of Bandit's Hill. Bandit's Hill was the hill in their local park. It was high and steep and commanded beautiful views of the surrounding countryside. But Charlie didn't really care that the hill commanded beautiful views of the surrounding countryside right now, thank you very much, because right now, Charlie was at the very top of the hill sitting in a dilapidated old go-kart. Wogan's dad had made the go-kart a few years ago, and Wogan's dad was not a good go-kart maker. In fact, it would be fair to say that Wogan's dad was the worst go-kart maker ever to actually make a go-kart. Wogan's dad was also the worst namer of children. He had meant to call Wogan Logan after Wolverine's real name, but after one too many whiskies, he had got confused and accidentally named him after an old BBC presenter instead. He had essentially attached a pair of wheels to each end of a box. There wasn't even a steering wheel. There was, however, a brake which was just a stick that, when pushed, merely dragged along the ground. Or, more accurately, there had been a brake, but Flora had spent the last twenty minutes carefully unscrewing it. When the go-kart was finally brakeless, Flora announced that the experiment was ready. Staring down at the very steep, very long and very bumpy descent in front of him gave Charlie a weird feeling in his stomach and his bum. Ahead of him he saw, at best, severe injury and at worst, a tragic end to his brief life. One child in hospital was enough for his parents, Charlie thought. You want me to go down the hill in this... this... Box on wheels without any brakes. That is deadly dangerous, Flora. Don't be daft, Charlie, said Flora. It is not deadly dangerous. It was deadly dangerous. But this thing, said Charlie, pointing around him at the go-kart, 
It's an absolute death trap. Oh, Charlie, said Flora, it is not an absolute death trap. It was an absolute death trap. Look, continued Flora, it's the only way to find out for certain whether my theory is correct. We need you to be scared. If it had breaks, you wouldn't be scared. But I don't want to die, said Charlie in a small voice. Pull yourself together, Charlie, said Flora, sounding increasingly exasperated. Do you really think I would put you in any real danger just to prove a theory? Guess not. She absolutely would. Exactly. Do you think Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were scared when they went to the moon? Probably, but they did it anyway because it was for the good of mankind. And if we can prove my theory and actually observe you change into an animal, it will be like landing on the moon, Charlie. Mosen and Wogan just stood there in a noticeable silence. Their faces, though, betrayed a mixture of guilt, fear and panic. OK, OK, let's do it, said Charlie, deeply uncertain. It was impossible to say no to Flora. Awesome! You're super brave, Charlie. I knew you'd do it. You're a hero. Against his better judgment, Charlie felt a glow in his chest and started blushing at Flora's words. Pass me the helmet, said Charlie. Passing you the helmet, sir, said Flora. Charlie tied the helmet on and gripped the side of the death trap go-kart. He let go for a short moment to give a proud salute to his friends. Mosen and Wogan gave a solemn, mournful salute back. Flora bent behind the go-kart and gripped it, ready to start pushing. Charlie swallowed, a ball of terror rolling in his stomach. Then there was a moment of perfect silence. The world held its breath. Just the wind softly ruffling Charlie's hair. That was Charlie accidentally letting out a little terror fart. Flora, who was bent down directly behind Charlie's bum, grimaced. Oh, Charlie! But then, with as much strength as he could muster, Charlie shouted through his fear. Go! At Charlie's word, Flora began running as fast as she could, pushing the go-kart and Charlie down the hill. Almost immediately, Charlie was going so fast that Flora couldn't keep up and had to let go. She stood, watching proudly, as Charlie disappeared at quite an alarming speed. Meanwhile, as Charlie started speeding down the hill, a number of thoughts came very, very quickly to his mind. They were, number one, he was travelling very, very fast, much faster than he thought was possible in a go-kart, and he was absolutely going to die. Number two, he should not have had the vanilla milkshake and apple juice before he attempted the ride. It was now sloshing about in his stomach, and he was almost certainly going to puke before he died. If he ever did this again, which he would never, ever do, 
he would learn from this mistake. Number three, he should have brought a cushion because every single jolt and judder of the death trap go-kart was causing his bum to bang on the wooden base of the barf-inducing, bum-banging, kamikaze death machine go-kart. And he was now going to die with a really sore bum covered in barf. Charlie was now pretty experienced in what to do in emergency situations such as this, where he was in grave personal danger, and that was to panic. He screamed. He continued. Now, obviously, this wasn't what Charlie intended to shout, but the combination of the shaking and shuddering cart, the wind blowing into his wide-open mouth, and the terror of barfing and imminent death meant his words came out sounding like a big hairy baboon doing a massive fart in the bath. It is unfortunately not possible to provide a direct translation of what Charlie was trying to say because half of the words he was attempting to scream were words that would get an immediate and extremely severe punishment from his parents. And probably from your parents too. And my parents as well. Actually, I'm, I'm certainly not going to write them down here. And if I did, I'd probably get in trouble with all parents everywhere, and that's the last thing anybody would want to deal with. Can you imagine? Being in trouble with all parents? Everywhere? Sheesh. So, the polite, parent-friendly translation of what Charlie screamed was, Goodness gracious me, I am in quite considerable fear for my life, and I sincerely regret agreeing to partake in this ludicrous scheme, he screamed. I would very much like to exit this go-kart now, before I suffer at best serious injury and at worst death. And I feel I might be about to be sick and my bottom is in a great deal of pain, he continued. Screaming, however, was doing little to help Charlie's perilous situation. And frankly, there was little he could do that would help his perilous situation. Impossibly, he was going faster than before. People were literally diving out of the way of the out-of-control, rampaging go-kart. Dogs were chasing Charlie, barking furiously as they raced behind him. But they were losing the race. Other people were using their phones to record the scene. The videos were immediately uploaded to YouTube with titles like Insane Boy Flying Downhill in Deadly Go-Kart Mad screaming kids faces certain death in death trap. And boy does nervous little fart in a cart, then screams gibberish. Before he was halfway down the hill, Charlie was already famous on the internet. But by the time Charlie was halfway down the hill, that's not what Charlie was thinking about. By that time, Charlie was unable to think any thoughts at all. The speed at which he was now travelling made thought impossible. The world had reduced to a blur. 
It was only as he approached the bottom of Bandit's Hill, at roughly the speed of a space rocket, that another thought sprang to his mind. And it was that he was about to get very wet. At the bottom of the hill was a short stretch of grass, with a number of people stretched out on it, enjoying the early morning sunshine. And beyond that was Bandit's Lake. It was a small lake, more of a pond really, but it was cold and full of ducks. And Charlie was headed straight for it. How neither Flora, Mosen, Wogan nor Charlie had realised that hurtling straight into the water was the most likely outcome of his ride was a mystery that should be analysed in depth, if he survived. But now was not the time. Charlie hit the bottom of the hill faster than a cheetah running for an ice cream van on the hottest day of the year. More people dived out of the way, screaming as he barrelled towards them. He crashed through a picnic, squashing sandwiches and knocking over drinks. A kite, ripped from the hands of a terrified child, got caught in the wheels of the cart and fluttered behind as he plunged towards the lake. Charlie closed his eyes. The cart hit a small rise just before the edge and flew into the air. It hung there for the briefest second, like a mad, out-of-control death-trap go-kart hanging in the air. Ducks scattered, quacking in terror, not quite believing that a small boy in a go-kart was about to plunge into their pond. An almighty splash! The cold hit Charlie and took his breath away. He bobbed to the surface, gasping for breath, and swam as quickly as he could for the shore, crawled out, reeds plastered to his head, and collapsed onto his back, panting and staring into the blue sky. Mutters of disbelief and shock rumbled through the crowd gathering around him. He let the sun warm his skin and his soaking clothes. It was then the realisation sunk in. He hadn't changed into an animal. Flora was wrong. They still had no idea why he was changing. And he only had a week and a half until the school play. Chapter 8 You are joking, Charlie said in utter disbelief. It's the only explanation, Flora said, crossing her arms. It was Monday lunch break, and the first time the four had been together since the Bandit's Hill disaster. You're saying I wasn't scared enough to change? Are you actually completely and totally... Do you realise how terrified I was? I think you enjoyed yourself too much, Flora said thoughtfully, as much to herself as anybody else. You have lost it, like actually.
actually properly lost it, Charlie replied. She might have a point, said Mosin. It did look awesome wicked fun. I can assure you, it was not. Charlie, said Wogan, placing a hand on Charlie's shoulder. You were whooping with delight the whole way down. That was not whooping. I was screaming, protested Charlie. We could hear you, Charlie, whooping, screaming, whooping. I was screaming. I thought I was going to die. I was terrified. Hmm, said Flora. Oh, do not start humming, snapped Charlie. We should listen to Flora's hums. You know that, Mosin said. Hmm, Flora hummed again. I think I might have made a mistake. Yes, I know, said Charlie. I should have thought more carefully, continued Flora. You're absolutely right there, said Charlie. Charlie, you had roller coaster fear. Roller coaster fear, Charlie replied, shaking his head. But there was something that nagged in the back of his mind. Deep down, deep, deep down. Charlie knew there had been a tiny element of excitement in his descent down Bandit's Hill. Looking back, Charlie realised that as well as ludicrously dangerous and terrifying and insane, it had been fun. The first time you changed, you were worried about your brother. The second time it happened, you were in trouble at school. You were upset and anxious both times. There was nothing enjoyable about that. Worry isn't fun. And that is where the experiment went wrong. And so, said Charlie, nervous of the reply. And so, we need to do another experiment to test the improved theory, said Flora with an air of finality. That's how science works, Charlie. OK then, smarty pants. What's your plan this time? Flora stroked her chin. I haven't quite finalised it yet. It's nearly there, but not quite. But I will definitely have a plan before you change again. 100% definite, said Flora, with an air of confidence and certainty. Behind the four friends, clearly looking very pleased at what he had just overheard, Dylan crept off silently unnoticed. Perhaps Charlie shouldn't have been quite so willing to believe Flora's confidence and certainty. Two days after their conversation, her plan was still yet to appear, and it was the day of the dress rehearsal for the play. Miss Fire and Mr Wind had spent many long evenings together writing their musical masterpiece, The Veg of Reason. The story of two rival gangs of vegetables and two star-crossed vegetables from those rival gangs who fall in love and... Well, actually, there's no need to say anything more about the plot. There's really no point in destroying your brain cells by giving you any more details. All you need to know is that Miss Fire and Mr Wind were very proud of it and were extremely anxious that everything should go as smoothly as possible at the dress rehearsal. 
About 20 children were waiting backstage, all dressed in vegetable costumes and chatting and giggling excitedly. Mosen and Flora had decided against auditioning for the play. Wogan, though, had gone along to the audition to give Charlie moral support and had accidentally auditioned and then cast as the main star. He was dressed as a big stalk of broccoli and was sweating under the heavy costume at the thought of having to kiss Cara Cotton at the end of the play. Cara was sitting opposite him, nervously adjusting her cauliflower costume. Charlie sat on the floor looking very glum. This look was perfect for his role as Sad Potato, number one. And Mr Wind seemed very happy to see Charlie getting into his character so well. Charlie sank further onto the floor when he heard Cara's cue to go on. Dylan, dressed in a bright orange costume, was also getting perfectly into his role as Happy Carrot number two. He sauntered up to Charlie with a huge grin stretched across his face. Cheer up, Charlie, sneered Dylan. It's not like you're about to change into an animal and be revealed as a freak of nature and get sent to the circus. <gasps> oh, sorry, I forgot. You are. That's exactly what's going to happen. Say goodbye to life, loser. Oh, get lost, Dylan. I'm really not in the mood. Dylan gave him a smug smile in return and sauntered off. Charlie hated happy carrots. A moment later, he heard Cara Cotton singing her cauliflower song. That meant that he and Dylan were up next. They both went into the wings and waited for Cara's song to end. Cara finished, bowed, and that was their cue. She came past, looking relieved. Charlie tried to walk on, but Dylan pushed him out of the way. You're going to change, he whispered at Charlie as he shoved past. A ball of nervousness bounced in Charlie's stomach. Shut up, Dylan, just shut up! They walked out on stage. Mr Wind and Miss Fire were sat next to each other in the front row, looking expectantly up at Charlie and Dylan. Mr Wind gave them the thumbs up, and Miss Fire bared her tombstone teeth to remind them to smile. Quite why a sad potato was supposed to smile was lost on Charlie. Dylan coughed, did an awkward bow, and then began to sing his Happy Carrot Song. The Happy Carrot Song is copyright Arthur Wind and Fire Music Corporation Limited, 2019. Oh, I'm a happy carrot, I'm as pleased as punch, perfect for a light snack or having with your lunch. I'm a cheerful carrot and I'm perfectly orange. The only thing that rhymes with that is something called a sporange. Do, 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 do. I'm delicious and nutritious, extremely hard and crunchy. Much nicer than this potato who really wants to punch me. Dylan finished with an awkward bow. Charlie then had to pretend to punch Dylan. He did this with perhaps more gusto than they had rehearsed before. 
Then it was time for Charlie's Sad Potato Song. The Sad Potato Song, copyright Arthur Wind and Fire Music Corporation Limited, 2019. He opened his mouth to sing, but nothing came out. He froze. He couldn't remember the words. His mouth went dry. Mr. Wind and Miss Vire stared at Charlie, waiting. Charlie needed a wee and a poo all of a sudden. Then, from nowhere, all the words began tumbling out of him. Oh, I'm a sad potato. I'm an unhappy spud. I'm stuck underground and I'm covered in mud. Oh, I'm a glum potato. I'm a tuber with a frown. Growing the wrong way up because I'm planted upside down. A sad potato's a bad potato and I really shouldn't whine. But I've got roots growing where the sun don't shine. He'd done it. He'd got through the song without changing. Charlie turned around to Dylan, who was looking at him, waiting. And then, a smile creeping on his face, Dylan mouthed one word at Charlie. Change! Charlie felt his eye begin to twitch, and then the other eye began to twitch. He felt hot. He felt full of static. Charlie was changing. Dylan had done it. Mr Wind and Miss Fire sat blinking up at Charlie, waiting for him to say his final line and then leave the stage. Charlie decided that not bothering with the final line and leaving the stage as swiftly as possible was an excellent idea. He ran. He jumped off the stage, ran through the hall and burst out the doors, running straight into a corridor full of chattering children. He had to get away from them. His body was now spitting and fizzing with electricity. Any second now, he'd change. He legged it down the corridor, his body full of fire. Footsteps were pounding behind him. Charlie turned and saw Dylan giving chase, a determined look on his face. Charlie flew round a corner into an empty corridor and felt himself shrinking as he ran. And he kept shrinking. And kept shrinking. The corridor suddenly seemed unimaginably huge. He was tiny and yet still shrinking. His skin was gone, his body now covered in interlocking brown scales. Charlie had changed into... Well, he had no idea what he changed into, but it was absolutely minuscule. At that moment, Dylan burst round the corner into an empty corridor. 
It wasn't completely empty, of course. Charlie was there, but he was now the size of a grain of rice. And Dylan obviously couldn't see him. Dylan stalked down the corridor, looking around suspiciously. He stepped slowly over Charlie without even spotting him. Dylan was the size of a skyscraper, bigger, in fact. His body stretching off into the distance towards a ceiling that looked to Charlie as far away and immense as the sky. Dylan's feet were the size of football pitches and they slapped down on the floor, nearly squashing him. Charlie remained totally still, terrified of getting crushed by the giant shoes as Dylan walked past. Suddenly, the lunch bell rang. Charlie remembered with a sickening jolt that the corridor he was in led directly to the school cafe, and that meant it was about to be swamped with... There was the sound of feet, lots and lots of feet, all charging towards the cafe, and more to the point, charging towards Charlie. Now, Charlie had been scared in his life before, but nothing, nothing could have prepared him for the sight of an army of mountain-sized children thundering towards him with marathon-length strides. I'm definitely going to get squashed, Charlie thought, terror-stricken. He had to somehow get out of the way. Maybe he could try jumping. Charlie jumped, and he jumped, higher and further and faster than he could have believed possible. He was Superman, soaring through the air with such ease, he felt like he was flying again. And as he made a second jump, he realised exactly what he was. Charlie was a flea. He jumped in between the legs of the children, hopping to and fro, exhilarated by his extraordinary newfound gymnastic ability. He still had to get out of the corridor, though, and quickly. If he changed back into his usual self here, he'd be seen by everybody. And that wouldn't be good at all. Charlie began jumping from kid to kid. He jumped upwards from legs to arms until finally he landed on the head of a tall year five girl and nestled in her hair. From here... Charlie had a perfect vantage point. He had covered a lot of ground. He was nearly at the end of the corridor. If he could make it into a classroom, chances were it would be empty because it was lunchtime. And hopefully he'd change back quickly, without being seen. He saw the face of the person next to the girl he was riding. It was Teddy, Dylan's best friend. Even though it would cost him time, Charlie couldn't resist. He jumped onto Teddy's shoulder and then up to his neck. As hard as he could, he took a great big bite. But Charlie had forgotten for a moment why fleas bite. Before he knew it, he was sucking Teddy's blood. With a heave of disgust, he stopped biting and tried spitting the blood out. Although still disgusted, he was happy in the knowledge that Teddy would have a nasty, itchy flea bite. 
He began hopping from head to head across the sea of children that stretched out in front of him. Boing! Onto Francis from three peas curly hair. Boing! Onto Ava from four R's long plaited hair. Boing! Onto James from two S's short spiky hair. And so he bounced and hopped all the way to the end of the corridor. The first class room he came to, class 2R, he scrawled under the door into what seemed to be a mercifully silent classroom. It was so huge and he was so tiny that he couldn't possibly see the whole of it. But it seemed like the coast was clear. He remained still and waited and waited and waited. And then, with a surge of relief, he felt the change come back. His arms, hair, his skin, all returned. Up he grew, and before he knew it, he was back to plain old Charlie McGuffin and standing in a silent room. Hello, Charlie. I guessed you might end up in here. Charlie swung around. Dylan was standing behind him at the back of the room, and he was holding a phone pointed straight at Charlie. Say hello to the camera, Charlie. Give us a wave. I've been recording the whole show. The whole disgusting sight of you changing from a tiny bug into Charlie. Charlie gulped. Give me the phone, Dylan. Oh, no, Dylan said with a cackle. Not a chance. We're going to be famous, you and I. We don't have to wait for you to change in front of everybody at the play. This exclusive footage is going to go viral. Now I get to be rich and you're finished and out of the school for good. Please, Dylan, just give it to me. Ha! Okay, yeah, forget the whole plan. Here you go. Take the phone. Not! I'm not an idiot, Charlie. That's debatable. Calling me names is not going to help you, Charlie. In fact, nothing will. Goodbye, Charlie McGuffin. And with that, Dylan slipped the phone into his pocket and walked out of the classroom. Charlie chased him into the corridor, calling after him. Dylan simply ignored him. That was it then. Charlie was finished. Out of nowhere, a child-sized stick of broccoli steamrolled around the corner and barreled straight into Dylan, who was knocked backwards onto his bottom. It was Wogan, closely followed by Flora and Mosin. Dylan picked himself up and dusted himself down. Watch where you're going, idiots, he seethed and stormed off down the corridor. What's his problem? asked Wogan, panting. And where have you been? We've been looking all over for you since your balsa from the rehearsal. What happens? Changed again, didn't I? No way! What's who this son? A flea, replied Charlie. Whoa, no wonder you had to flee so quickly, Mosin said, grinning at his own joke. Flora and Charlie glared at Mosin. Wogan looked confused. This is not the time for jokes, Mosin, said Flora. Look, that's not important, said Charlie. I've got, I've got more problems to worry about. 
I'm in big trouble. Bigger than usual, said Mosin. The biggest. Dylan followed me and recorded me, changing back. He said he's going to show it to the world. So I'm basically a dead man, unless we can somehow get Dylan's phone from him before he does anything with the video. You mean this phone, said Flora. The three boys looked at Flora, who was holding a phone. Yes, said Charlie. It's exactly like that phone. That's because this is Dylan's phone, said Flora, blinking. Look, Flora, this isn't the time for any more of your ridiculous... He dropped it, Flora interrupted, when Wogan bumped into it and he fell over. You're... you're kidding, said Charlie, mouth flapping like a dying fish. I saw it fly out his pocket, so I picked it up. I was about to give it back to him, but he was so rude, I sort of accidentally kept hold of it. So you can just delete the video and give it him straight back. Flora! gasped Charlie. You are an actual, proper, real-life lifesaver! Charlie took the phone off Flora and deleted the video. Without thinking, he grinned at her and said, I could kiss you! Flora blushed as soon as he said that. And Charlie blushed right back. That was another Tell-A-Tale Pod production. Remember that you can follow, share and find more of our podcasts at tellatalepod.podbean.com And if you really like the podcast, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash tellatalepod.com